Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. It's so great to see you. Nice to see you as well, Chris. We have a very interesting topic today, white line disease, and I think we need to kind of jump into it so we don't make this a super long podcast because there's a lot to cover here. This is something I've run into. I'm sure you've run into. Anybody that's been around horses long enough, I think we'll run into this. Uh, white line disease, it's, it's, a, it's a big topic, isn't it? Yeah, like they say, no hoof, no horse. And there's unfortunately yeah. a lot of things that can go wrong in the hoof, this being one of them. No, and it, it's an area of, of nutrition and an area that I think owners are, are very much aware of that it takes a lot to manage a horse's feet. You know, it's a constant concern, but when something like white line disease comes, it just, uh, your heart drops. You're like, okay, what do we need to do to get this horse right? I think a, a good starting point for anybody that's not super familiar with it is just kind of give that big picture of what exactly white line disease is. Sure. So what we're looking here is actually a separation of the hoof wall itself from the more sensitive interior of the hoof. So kind of a little grounding in anatomy. You have three layers of the hoof wall. So even though we talk about it as one thing, you have the stratum externum. That's the external layer. It's this thin outer layer. It's what makes it smooth and shiny. And that's just a layer of thin keratinized cells. The stratum medium, that's the middle, this is going to be the bulk of the wall. It's the densest part of the hoof wall. It originates from the coronary epidermis, so it's actually growing down from the coronary band. And then you have the stratum internum, that inner layer. And this is made of laminar epidermis, so it's not pigmented. It's what we actually call the white line when you look at the bottom of the horse's foot. And its job is really to attach the outer hoof wall to the sensitive interior, the, the laminae that are holding up the distal phalanx, your coffin bone. So we can kind of think of the hoof in these like distinct areas where you have the hoof wall itself, which is this outer protection. It's your weight-bearing surface for a lot of it. Of course, you have the frog as well. But then you have all of the sensitive tissue that's holding up the coffin bone in the hoof. And we run into issues when we have some breakdown of that sensitive tissue. And really the the role of that inner layer is to attach it all together. And unfortunately, we can see some issues here when we have that separation of our hoof wall from the interior of the hoof. Yeah, reading the literature, it, it, and, 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 I, and, and talking to farriers, you know, a little separation is kind of common. They see in a lot of horses. But where we run into problems is if that separation allows some of this fungus or bacteria to get in, right, that starts leading to this. Yeah, so so the, the hoof is really interesting. You know, your classic case of white line disease is usually pretty severe once it's been diagnosed. And like you said, a lot of times we're going to see a little bit of stretching in the white line for various reasons, sometimes a tiny bit of separation, and it doesn't necessarily go anywhere. When we have a serious white line disease issue, what ultimately happens is because of a variety of different things, and we could talk about those, access up into that hoof wall occurs and you have pathogens and some of them are bacterial some are fungal there's really not a direct answer of like what is a secondary issue so like you've already had some damage other things move in versus what is primary but ultimately once we know is 
you have a little bit of access, which allows that internal infection, whether it's bacterial, fungal, to set up. And basically, it eats away at the interior of the hoof. And then all of a sudden, you essentially have like an empty spot in their hoof. If you radiograph it, you can visually see just this empty cavity where you have that separation between the internal and external parts of the hoof as a consequence of that infection. Yeah, it's just really painful, isn't it? Like, uh, it's just, you know, laminitis, uh, white line disease. When that starts happening with the horses, it, it's really ouchy for them. And, and you can really tell that they're leading up to severe pain. But reading the literature, it's it's early on white line disease. Don't see much. It's, it's later on. Uh, right. And, 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 yeah. That's, that's a tough thing about this is because mm -hmm. oftentimes horses might have a mild case of white line disease that goes undetected. And then unfortunately, when they really start displaying clinical signs of lameness, it's usually pretty far progressed. Mm -hmm. And and the end, the end case of this, right, the most severe case is actually because of that separation, you no longer have adequate support for the coffin bone. So you'll have rotation or sinking of the coffin bone itself, which similarly is what can also happen due to laminitis. So you have the same endpoint but functionally two different failures. And the other interesting thing, if you look at causes of white line disease, because of course, horses are not simple. There's no one cause. A previous episode of laminitis can actually lead to this because functionally you have decreased blood flow to the hoof during laminitis, which can compromise the quality of the growth down. So it's kind of interesting that you have all these different areas of the hoof that can fail, that end at the same endpoint, clinically, you need to look a lot closer to the hoof to definitively identify like what exactly is causing just pain. Yeah, I know. It, oh, it is. It, it, it is very painful for them. Now, you, you, you alluded to it, some of the factors. I know there's, a, there's a many. And, and even today, after a couple decades of research that I, I was pouring over this week, it still confounds some scientists like exactly, you know, the etiology of white line disease, but we do know some things that contribute to it, right? So what are some of those general, okay, this is what will kind of lead up to or can lead to white line disease? It's really funny because, you know, when you look at the things that have been proposed to cause white line disease, on one hand, you have moisture. So environmentally, um, whether that's mud, really frequently urine-soaked bedding, like horses that are in a wet environment all the time. We definitely see increased incidence of white line disease in that type of environment because the chronically wet foot becomes soft. So that allows easier entry of dirt, debris into the hoof, kind of opening things up to let that secondary infection we talked about come in. So are like, okay, cool. I'll just keep them super dry. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's we so also see white line disease in arid environments as well because you know the opposite end of the spectrum to the really soft hoof is the foot that's so hard and dry that it can be prone to you know cracks or small separations in the white line again allowing those pathogens to enter so certainly an environmental factor there's some that we, horses live in places with mud they live in places that are dry so that's part of it a big one of course is going to be mechanical stress so why is it that only some horses that live in the mud develop white line disease? Only some horses that live in arid conditions develop white line disease. A lot of it can come down to the conformation of the hoof itself or the trim of the hoof itself. So when you have excess mechanical forces, 
that cause that white line to stretch a little bit. That could be a really long toe. That could be low heels, could be a club foot. It's going to stretch the white line a little bit. Like we said, that's not necessarily white line disease when you see a little bit of stretching, but again, it can open up the possibility for entry. So if we take a hoof that's been mechanically stressed, we put it in the mud, we can increase the likelihood that they have an issue. And then, like I mentioned, another big one is, you know, we do sometimes see this in horses who had a laminitic event, whether that a metabolically induced laminitic event, so your insulin-resistant horse who had too much sugar in its diet, or a mechanical or even secondary to some sort of other disease. So it might be a mechanical laminitis. You know, the classic example of that is road founder. It might be one that's secondary to something like Potomac horse fever or a horse who ran a super high fever for some other disease process. Well, that reduces blood flow to the hoof. So you can have some vascular damage. You're not growing out great hoof. So ultimately, there's no single thing that predisposes the horse to white line disease, which that's challenging, right? So there's no perfect way to prevent it. But what we do know ultimately is that hooves that are compromised in some way are at risk of developing white line disease. Yeah, very good uh, summary so far, Nicole. Now, prevention. I mean, obviously, we want to talk about nutrition because nutrition, reading the literature is is a big piece of it. Like, you know, that's why we bring this topic up this week. But generally, overall, what are some of the, the keys to prevent white line disease? And then maybe we can get a little bit more into which nutrients, because again, you know, reading what these veterinarians and these scientists are studying, you know, the nutritional component is actually a, a, is, is a big piece of this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, in terms of managing their environment, obviously, you know, trying to keep them out of spending all of their time in the mud, whether that's rotating pastures, putting in some sort of dry lot with a stone dust footing, a mud grid, there's lots of options out there. It's also something to think about, you know, even horses who are just being bathed super frequently, just all that added moisture to their hoof could be problematic. So thinking about things we can do for managing their environment to the extent we're able to, right? I I understand that is challenging. I will say we did my dry lot in stone dust and I've never been a happier person in the middle of the wet (laughs) Ohio winter. But so managing their environment, obviously regular farrier work, right? So consistent trims, just keeping those horses hooves from having that mechanical stress is a big part of your prevention. And then thinking about how do we help them grow a strong, healthy hoof. Kind of two components there. One, frankly, is exercise. So in order to stimulate hoof growth, you need to have blood pumping. Horses who get zero exercise, basically the act of walking, their frog presses on the ground, it stimulates circulation. So horses who get zero exercise, you know, that's going to inhibit their ability to really grow hoof. And then the other part, like you mentioned, is the nutritional components. And ultimately, I think about the nutrition in two different ways. One, risk management, right? I want my horses on a good diet to grow as good a hoof as possible. And then if you're in the unfortunate situation, my horse has white line disease, whether it is minor, whether it is major, you're obviously going to ask the question, what can I do nutritionally to support that horse in addition to the veterinary stuff? So like a severe case of white line disease, you might be looking at a hoof resection, that's a lot going on there. So we're obviously going to aim for prevention. And then, of course, we can talk about crap there now. What what can I do to support my horse in the healing process? 
Right, right. And I mean, just, I think we're throwing everything you can to help support them. You know, again, been there, done that, dealing with, you know, laminitis or dealing with white Lyme disease. It is a stressful time for the owners too. So take care of your own health. But, you know, how to support those horses nutritionally, okay, right. We have good quality hay. What specifically should owners be looking at to say, okay, I've got some hoof issues. I really need to bolster their diet to help support those hooves to stay healthy. So what, from a nutrition standpoint, what are you looking at specifically in the diet? Yeah. Step one, I'm not starting with a supplement. I'm evaluating the base diet because the majority of horses shouldn't need a hoof supplement on top of their existing diet. Now, we absolutely have those special cases where the diet itself is amazing. It checks every box and those horses are a little special and they need some extra help. But I am always a proponent both from, you know, an economic standpoint, a simplicity standpoint. Am I feeding a base diet? And by base diet, I mean their forage and the concentrate you've chosen to complement to their forage. We've talked about a lot. Even the best, most amazing quality forage doesn't provide all of the key nutrients to support health and wellness. In this particular case, that health and wellness is your horse's foot. So you're limiting amino acids, particularly methionine, which is one of our sulfur-containing amino acids. There's a lot of methionine in that horse's hoof because those sulfur bonds are what helps build the hoof itself. Then when we think about vitamins and minerals, it's not just biotin. Okay. A lot of people are like, I got a hoof problem. Give me some biotin. Biotin's important. Don't get me wrong. Your horse makes a lot of biotin and it's time good. It has good quality forage. But just feeding biotin, you know, isn't going to address all the different nutrients involved. So from a vitamin perspective, looking beyond biotin, we have vitamin A, which is going to help with the lamina and like that sensitive tissue inside the hoof. Vitamin C, which the horse makes in its liver, but we also can supplement on top of that. We build that into our feed. Uh, Very important for hoof health. It's also an antioxidant. Macro minerals, your calcium and phosphorus. So does your horse have enough calcium in its diet? Because calcium leads to brittle hooves. It's also involved in some of that cross-linking. If we don't have that balance of calcium to phosphorus, right, which honestly is not that difficult in the adult horse, we can have some issues there. And then we think about our micro minerals, so our trace minerals, copper and zinc, huge for hoof health. It's super duper important. And then, you know, even some of your omega-3 fatty acids, like if your horse isn't out on grass, we can think about those as well. So I look at the base diet and really my question is for your horse's size, level of work, et cetera, are you feeding at least the label minimum recommended rate of a good quality feed? So if you were feeding Coleman Easy, for example, and you had a thousand pound horse in light work, you should be feeding four pounds a bit per day. But if you said, Dr. Rambo, if I fed four pounds of Kalmanese, my horse gets fat, so I only feed it two pounds. I would tell you, Kalmanese is a great feed, but it's not for your horse, okay? Because when you feed under the label minimum recommended rate, you're not providing all the nutrients to complement that forage. Hmm. So in your case, we'd look at a ration balance or like essential K, provide those nutrients. So we start there. Then we recognize it takes nine to 12 months to grow out a hoof. So, right, what you're seeing at your farrier appointment is a consequence of what happened nine to 12 months prior. So, so we need some patience. So we'll start there. Now, if we evaluate your diet and your, your diet's fantastic, the horse still doesn't have great feet, 
you've addressed everything you can from a management standpoint, whether that's the environment they live in, putting on some fly boots in the summer so they're not stomping, you got a great farrier, then maybe we look at a supplement. And again, not just a straight biotin supplement. So I like to provide really a balance of all those nutrients. So I don't want to provide them individually because I can risk upsetting the balance of the diet. But I'm thinking about calcium, I'm thinking about biotin, but I'm also thinking about copper, zinc, and manganese, all of those things. And then, particularly if we have the horse who already has white line disease, iodine becomes incredibly powerful because iodine is both a topical antifungal, but we actually see antifungal activity when we feed a little bit higher level of it through the diet. So I would say if we're looking at a prevention standpoint, provided the horse doesn't have underlying issues, let's just look at our base diet, make sure we're hitting all of the things we need to there. If the horse has a history of hoof issues, then we can look at a supplement and just look at it for a holistic supplement. We have one in Toughest Nails. That's a product that we have that really complements the feed nicely. And one of its key characteristics is it has a nice level of iodine. So when you do see that some separation, we're either being proactive, right? Like, oh, we do not want that to set up in there. Or if we're now treating it, it is a good complement to the veterinary treatment that you're doing in addition to what you're doing in the diet with the horse who has a case of white line disease. It was a good point. These nine to 12 months, I'm like, oh, it's right. It takes it takes a long time for that hoof to grow. And, and you're right. We're seeing things that happened in the past year and not the year forward. So yeah, all all very, very good points. And again, I, I just put it here because when we get talking about some of this stuff as far as analyzing diets, speak to an equine nutritional consultant. Uh, you obviously talk to your veterinarian, but your nutritionists are available. We have the link in our show notes for a free consultation. Again, free. Hot, hot stop. I don't want to tell them to go to their veterinarian for, for nutrition advice. advice. Yeah, you're right. That's true. But I'll, always feel free to reach out to a nutritional consultant. The one we have, you know, we always list the contact us in the show notes. You can click on that and reach out to us and get free advice. Remember, it's free. You know, you're not paying for anything and you're talking to to people that deal with this every day. So any final advice for owners that are just dealing with white line disease or, or, or hoof issues? You know, what are, what are some of those things that, that you would suggest to an owner that you haven't quite hit on yet? Well, I think I'm very comprehensive, Chris, but um, the (laughs) final thing, the final thing I'll say is it takes a team, right? And Mm -hmm. you need to trust your team. So getting everyone together on the same page, your veterinarian, your farrier, your nutrition, and that's something we're definitely willing to help with. But when it comes to feet, you have to make sure that you're addressing it holistically. And like I said, no hoof, no horse. So this is definitely a serious issue and one that we're mainly going to aim to prevent. We hope that you are not already in that place while you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, uh, the link's in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Great job again this week, Nicole. And please don't forget to to visit the website, tributeequinenutrition.com. The new website's beautiful. Again, those links are available here. The podcast is available here. Some of these products we talk about is available there that you can research more into. And again, you know, check us out on Instagram and Facebook, Tribute Equine Nutrition. Great job, Nicole, and look forward to our talk next week. Thanks so much, Chris.